take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies, put them in a room, and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film. Evening, sir. Hey, Mr. Finley. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. How about you? I'm fucking great. I'm feeling awesome, man. Are you kidding? It's the beginning of the uh, beginning of fall here in Fresno. There's clouds in the skies, a little rain pitter-pattering this morning, so I'm feeling uh, pretty good right now. It seems to me we used to talk, uh, give a lot more lip service to how awful it was to live here. Hmm, true. Is that a sign of us getting older and accepting the fate of living <laughs> yeah, in Fresno? I think that might be it, yeah. Like, <laughs> we're, just, like, we're, just, uh, we're just crawling into Mordor and just going, oh, I guess it's home now. Yeah, the other thing is also, Tom, I would say for you especially, but for me as well, um, we're a little kind of cunty about the weather. I mean, the truth of the matter is most people live in places that are actually hot, very, very hot. So we're just weak. We're weak is all we are. Are we weak or are we smarter? I'm not sure. I'm... I tend to think we're smarter, but maybe that's a little self-serving on my part. I guess the same way that white people are smarter. You're born a certain way. You have certain advantages, maybe. And it's like, yeah. you know. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take, so our, at this point in life, I need whatever advantages are coming my way. Our, I, am not, I have not made the most of it so far. <laughs> I have not. You really don't understand white privilege at all, Tom. No. Yeah. Man, it's just such a wasted concept on me. You should I just don't. totally give it to somebody who could do something with this shit. Watch this, Tom. Uh-huh. You know who did understand white privilege? Well, why don't you tell me, Joe? Mr. Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> wow, Lawrence Olivier. Actually, Larry to his friend. That's right. You know, I think about Lawrence Olivier, and I it's like... Lord Sir Lawrence Olivier. There's so many great... Lord Sir... Yeah, was Lord he a Lord? Sir Lord. He was a Lord, Lord and a Sir. Lord Sir Lawrence. Lord what Sir Larry. What a mouthful. Yes, sir. Mm, that's what Vivian... Uh, that's what he to thought, say. too. Um... Yeah, when I think of him, it's like to narrow it down to two films, which is what we've done. We didn't go for a threefer on this one. We did mm. two films. We decided on two films that would like show, I think, a range. Yeah. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought it is a range, and yet they have similarities because, you know, like um, classically, um, Lawrence Olivier is maybe best known for Hamlet, which we're not doing, nah. but it could be done another time, a Shakespeare episode or something like that. One of my favorite you're doing a, you're Hamlets. You're doing a Shakespearean uh, Lawrence Olivier thing. Isn't that, isn't that kind of cheating in a way? I don't know. Doing it, wait, wait, doing... Uh, Lawrence L- Olivier, do, do, doing Lawrence Olivier too, doing, uh, doing uh, Shakespeare. Man, mm-hmm. It's like, that's... And that's his backyard. That's like talking. It's like <sighs> well, we're, talking play, about, we're talking about dark chocolate and, and, and sex or something like that. You know, well, speaking of dark chocolate, chocolate, he did do um, <laughs> Othello in shoe polish, which was pretty embarrassing. Uh, yeah, well, <coughs> it was. A, it was absolutely a different time back then. He and also that seemed oh, that seemed okay to the people of the day. You know, and I'm not even sure that that's true it's because I know that he did Wuthering Heights. He was Heathcliff in, in shoe polish. So he may have done blackface twice, which mm. is kind of humiliating. But you know, he did he did um, a lot of great Shakespeare. Uh, Probably in my mind, the definitive Hamlet. Sure. Um, he. Um, well, I mean, next to Kenneth Branagh. I mean, oh, good lord! <laughs> Thirty-three hours. Fucking terrible movie. <laughs> F- I actually like the Mel Gibson version better. I do too, actually. I do it's too. Not, the the one thing, the one thing I would definitely say. Uh, His Jew hating commentary seemed unnecessary. Yeah, you know, out damn Spotsky. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why Ski and Jew. Neither a borrower or B. I mean, that seems like <laughs> a real broad or, brush there. Neither a borrower or with interest B. Yes. Okay. No, uh, but but I would say that the Kenneth Bernard version is worth watching just so you can see the absolute worst acting ever. By Jack Lemmon. Oh my god, damn Terrible. it. That's so fucking dreadful. Just dreadful, yeah. Oh, he's just 
Okay, but so Lawrence Livy's done that. You know, um, he did a film, and I, I thought about suggesting here. We didn't get to it, but I, I would personally recommend uh, viewers check, uh, listen to check out, and that's uh, the Entertainer. Entertainer. Yes, I was thinking that. Such actually, a great I one. was thinking that we were kind of not. We should have added this. Probably this, should have added. That is such a great fucking movie, and it's it's sort of sort of off the beaten path, even for he who did so many a diversity right. of roles, well, and he did it just he did it very distinctly because it was very unusual for him. You know, he's it was one a of, modern play. I want to talk about villains in a bit, but in a way, it's sort of like. Like, you know, that's when you get like the deliciousness of an actress when they play someone who's sort of a slime ball, like Tony Curtis and, and Sweet Smell of Success or sure, something, right? Absolutely right. Okay, and then of course there's a movie outside our, our sort of like timeline from I think it's I want to say '86 that I just love, and it's this film with Lawrence Olivia and Jackie Gleason called You like that one, Mr. Halpern? Oh, and, oh I love that dude, film. I gotta say, Finley number one, love that goddamn movie. Would not it's stop like an watching HBO that movie. special on about yeah, these two yeah. older gentlemen who you know had lo- shared a woman. Not in the rotisserie chicken style, (laughs) not not in a Rolling Stone backstage style, but yes, a shared love of a woman. You're right. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And probably you know rotisserie. Anyways. Yeah. So, but anyway, so what we're going to start with here is actually, um, I think the second to last actually Hitchcock film that was not um, before he he went Hollywood. Yeah. Before he was before he was forty one. He was really Hitchcock. Forty one. He did Suspicion, but in nineteen forty he did Rebecca, and that's Mm -hmm. with Lawrence Olivier and Joan Fontaine. Right. Now, okay, let's talk. Well, okay, so I think it's. Um, I hate it when people say this about like short stories or, or poetry or something, but I think it's kind of two films. Really, talk to me. Well, okay, so you have this sort of, sort of first part of the film with with Joan Fontaine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me, as this um, personal aid to mm-hmm. a, like a dowager, like a real, <laughs> like a, real a real asshole. A real cunt, yeah. She's really a fucking a Just, real dick. She's a paid a paid um, um, companion, right. essentially, right? Vacationing in Monte Carlo. Yeah, with, uh, with this super rich woman who's yeah. super entitled and just needs to be shot. Okay, fine. I'd and like so, to think people like that don't exist anymore, but you know they do. And Joan Fontaine, by the way, who is so, so sweet. I mean, everything she does, she's very, very sweet. I kept thinking she looked a lot like Ingrid Bergman. Yeah, she's got that uh, quality. Got that quality. She was the sister of Olivia de Havilland, and they um, sort of notably despised each other for their entire lives. Really? They didn't speak for decades at a time. No idea. And then would start speaking and then wouldn't speak for decades at a time. Uh-huh. Like would snub each other at the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, like just, just total fuckface sisters, right? But she's a sweet, sweet you know, presence on the screen. Yeah. And she, so she plays this young lady who's, who's a paid companion to, to Mrs. Dowager. Sort, sort blah, of an blah, blah, incredible blah. innocent. Yeah, and and she um, meets Lawrence Olivier, who's oh. vacationing there, and she first spots in him Monte Carlo. in Monte Carlo, where he's sort of like contemplating jumping off a cliff. Right, he's he's on a cliff, staring down. You could you could you could see you could see him yeah. about ready to step out. there. No, I think what's interesting now about Lawrence Olivier in this role is that on the one hand, um, he's very suave. He's a very suave, sort As of always, almost yeah. like Cary Grant, but without the sense of humor because he's also an asshole. This film is full of real dicks. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a bag of dicks, except for Joan Fontaine. Right, and we'll get to someone and else. She's in a bit. she's she's uh, she's almost a dick in absentia. Like, just, Wait, who is Joan Fontaine? Joan Fontaine. Why? Yeah, just because. But, dick well, in here's the, what I love about this movie is it sounds like a basically night with Tom. one conversation would have changed the entire course of everyone's life. What do you mean? <laughs> like, if, if she had had the nerve to go, hey, what's this Rebecca thing about? Like, that would have changed the. There would have been no movie. Yeah, but that's the, the not her book, being there an would asshole. Have been no movie, right? <laughs> well, we should sort of set the deal here. So, so the deal is Lawrence Olivier sort of likes her moxie 
as this yeah. young lady who's who's this sort of paid companion to yeah, this and asshole he's, dowager. And he's, and he's in love with her, but it's in a very weirdly condescending way of that. Very condescending. Yeah. Well, it's also like that sort of classic story, whether it's here or Annie Hall. It's sort of like the, the older man who's like um, taken with a young beauty, but also wants to show her the things of life. In this case, and also not, loves like, her innocence. It's, loves it's her very innocence, much in love with her innocence. For that. Wants to show her the shirt, finer you know. things of life, and it, and it, so mm-hmm. it turns out he's a widower, right? So he's lost his wife, yes. Rebecca. Hence right. the title, right? The sort of mysterious woman who he loved, mm-hmm. who died somehow. Right. And so he's off of Monte Carlo trying to sort of drown his feelings, contemplate suicide, meets Joan Fontaine, and woos her away from her paid companion uh, uh, position. No, 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 uh, that was an act of, of, gra- of God, right? <laughs> it was a gracious act, getting her away from that well woman. But into another area, into this other thing. And so Joan Fontaine ends up in basically out of her class circle. And if you were, if the, it, contextually for British people, I'm sure yeah. it makes a little more sense in a way. Yeah. Because you, she's There's a lot on the line. There's probably tension for the audience in 1940. Right. In, in and certainly audience. in a British audience who understands the class of the yeah. time period. It's it's a little beyond me at this point, but yeah. I understand that that's part of the tension of what's going on. So the idea, so, 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 so you know, Hitchcock has, has Olivia take um, Joan Fontaine away to um, um, what I, Manderley. and I hate Manderley, which is this sort of like a state castle-ish house. And I yeah. hate it when people say this and we say it too often, but like, it's kind of its own character. Like the house oh, and yeah. the estate is yeah, its yeah. own sort of like, it's imposing, mm-hmm. it's magnificent, it overlooks the ocean. Right. But what's really interesting is when they get back, you know, everyone's sort of surprised. He's got like 57 servants and they're all sort of surprised. And he's got, by the way, mm-hmm. Nigel Bruce, yes. old Beaky and Watson playing, sort of- Playing Nigel Bruce. <coughs> playing <laughs> Nigel Bruce. And all these people are Never sort of just difference. sort of shocked at like, he's he's obviously picked up like a chorus girl essentially to sort of right. drown his sorrows and, sorrows and her sweet, sweet British pussy right yeah, right of course yeah, so so wow, that word has never that phrase has never been uttered. Sweet, sweet, sweet British, British pussy. pussy. Yeah, yeah, I didn't make it attractive. I didn't sweeten the deal. No, sir. Okay, but I want to say this. I just want to ask you something that this is sort of stop because I think that um, sometimes the most obvious like list of best cinema villains mm-hmm. is not as obvious as you would think. So, oh. for instance, I think one of the best villains of all, all time, time is Barnes in George Platoon. Hitt. Okay. All Barnes right. who shoots Ellis in Platoon. Yep. Like, no one ever talks about him, but that's a fucking... Forget the Marvel comics. Like, Barnes shooting Ellis is, like, one of the great supervillain yep. things. And I think that the- Judith... Anderson, who plays the head sort of like mistress maid of oh, this, yeah, is what snuck. a good Yeah, she, yeah if I, I think now that I'm thinking about it, I, yeah. I think I've overused the word cunt earlier. I think I should back off. I on was that thinking one that too. And go, yeah, I right love here. the word cunt, but here's where it needs to be dropped. Here's where it needs to be. And I got to say this also, she's accompanied by one of the great movie villains, like one of the great movie cads of all time, George Sanders. Okay. God, I love that guy. Just his voice. Okay. You know, he plays, uh, he plays, uh, he plays uh, what Rebecca's what cousin okay. in the movie. Uh, come to find out later on that there was a little bit more involved with that. Like they were me, anyways. Yeah, well, okay. Like, like we're on the skirt. We're skirting where we may want to pull back. On well, skirt. okay. So I mean, the, but but this is what I mean. This is still what I'm calling like the first part of the film. And the first part of the film is it's not a Hitchcock film in the traditional sense. Mm-hmm. He's sort of um, it's a drama. It's a high drama where. Um, you know, Joan Fontaine has to live in the shadow of Rebecca, who was revered clearly by Laurence Olivier, who has a temper and snaps at any sort of like suggestion that she's taking his dead wife's place right, right. by yeah. this horrible, horrible maid, maid Judith Anderson, who, who adored who, who Rebecca. Was, like, I, mean, I mean, it was like, it, I'm not reading too much into it to say that it has an almost homoerotic sort of yeah, feel to it, you right? You know she would have you know snapped that amazing, juicy British pussy. Juice, juicy British fears. pussy. Yeah. And, and so there's also this, this sense of like... <laughs> 
that's like my a new, that's day. my, that's my new uh, tattoo, I think. It's real mean girls because it's mm. all about like, how can she humiliate and, and, and drive crazy Joan Fontaine? Yeah, yeah. She's really gaslighting her a lot. She is gaslighting that's her. literally, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's all that, and then all of this, as it turns out, what's revealed is that the the wife, Rebecca, the dead wife, perished just off, into the sea, off the sea, like over like, the cliff right, of this right, Mandalay, Mandalay, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she has to sort of live in the proximity right. of of this death, you mm-hmm. know, and so she goes, there's all, all kinds of like going down to the shore to discover some sort of cabin um, with We're, some wacko sort of retarded man right. who, who comes the, the village for idiot every village had in the, every, in the early 20th and late 19th yes, century. Yeah. Fair enough. So mm-hmm. this is all and part it of also the- even like it goes so far as like <laughs> even like like her correspondence room. There's a of course it's it's a huge British estate. Yep. So they have a room where people go to simply write letters. Of course, and yeah. it's every piece of paper is like Rebecca's stationery. Yeah. Like, so I'm like I'm gonna throw this shit out and get my own stationery. Somehow the husband just, has she's married intimidated her, intimidated by pieces of paper, and allowed a, a huge oil painting of his ex-wife to be at the top of the stairs. You <laughs> right. know, sort of present. So yeah, she's ever present. And so to me. I'm going to say this, like now at some point, and it happens at a costume party, the movie sort of changes to a more Hitchcockian, like whodunit, (laughs) mystery, murder mystery, investigation, courtroom drama. Right. And I want to say this, even though that's typically his strong suit, I think the film is really good all the way up into where Hitchcock tries to be Hitchcock. And I actually don't like the film that very much Mm -hmm. after it becomes... A kind of murder mystery. Okay. Well, so, okay, so now here, I, uh, a dirty secret on my part. I read the book a couple times when I was a teenager. Liked it. The dirtier secret is what a fucking nerd you are, Tom. <laughs> I was a huge nerd. Yeah. I read Rebecca a couple yeah. of times. It was a huge book in its day. It was a tremendously popular book in its day. Yeah, which wasn't your day, by the way. <laughs> no, it was like 100 it's years really before you were around. Yeah. Well, here's the thing about Rebecca, which what I is think is thing? fascinating. Let's break, let's break it down. If I, if I were to say anything, it, it's as though Jane Eyre were written by Agatha Christie. You're playing fast and loose with the word interesting, but go ahead. Yeah, true. Anyways, but that's the case. I mean, there's yeah. a, lot of, a lot of plot points are shared between Jane Eyre and it also turns in halfway at the halfway through the book and halfway through the movie, it turns into your sort of. It turns I feel into the same way about Jane Eyre, by the way. I love the first hundred and fifty pages, and then I just, <laughs> I just would let it go. I just end it there intentionally. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, well, I just feel like it's it's it's, it's challenging. I know it's hard. For, it's, it's, it's hard, hard, to, it's read. hard to read. I understand yeah. that, but it also it's like what it's trying to be. Like I don't, I don't understand why this. Just I mean, I'm just your jug band or something. I'm just looking at it from the point of view of a film, but I'm just. I don't know why it has to be that second thing. Well, like, what's the advantage? Because, because, they're, because they're really trying to write. Because again, the book was huge. They were trying to write the book for the possibilities. Well, of I mean, it. why is the book that way? That's well, what I'm that's saying. The thing because I guess it needed to be because I don't know because that's you the don't way know. They, that's, that's the, the best. Way they, you finally the way, got there. That's the way. All the stammering. The you finally book. got to. You don't know. You don't either, dumbass. How, I know. I'm saying that. I'm saying I don't know. And you. I don't know. What are you talking about? Anyway, turns into a mystery. And I would say, yeah, it isn't the weaker part of the book. Mystery solved. It's the weaker part of the book and the weaker part part of the movie okay sorry i didn't mean to fucking agree no with no you, no you. i just thought you didn't know snapper that's all it takes god damn it just i don't know beast mode Joe. actually three words i don't you know twat. so um, i do give it a, i mean i do give it a thumbs up for i mean it's it's got a kind of a, a really cool cinematography oh, it's beautiful it's beautifully um, shot it's a beautifully shot movie and we saw a beautiful uh, a good a beautiful print, print that's free yeah, yeah really it's well done. public domain yeah yeah okay go see it it's Lawrence olivier Lawrence olivier is is great joan fontaine is better then she, Olivier, I think so. She controls. I mean, she's like, she she, she makes that innocence come pop on the screen. It's really crazy. Well, he's multi um, sort of dimensional, but the dimensions aren't that interesting. He's yeah. either sort of like right. sweet and and wooing her, or a complete asshole. Right. <coughs> kind of yeah. like the two parts of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Next we have no podcast. We turn to uh, we we fast forward. Uh, Sleuth. By the way, they did a remake of Sleuth in like 2008. Why the fuck not? I mean, let's do a shot-by-shot remake of Psycho. Why not fucking Sleuth? Well, here's the thing. You know, Michael Caine, who has no conscience. Michael Richards in it or something? um, Switched rules with Lawrence Olivier and became... Oh really? Right? Yeah, the old it was terrible. Jud, Jud Law or Jude Law played as. Oh uh, no! It was terrible. But anyway, so this is 1972's. Um, now I remember sort of being on a kick at this time with like uh, a late Michael Caine movies, and I consider this definitely to be a Lawrence Olivier movie. Though, although Michael Caine is, you yeah. know, it's you, one of the you only can make films. Make the argument either way on this. It's one of the only films where the entire cast was um, nominated for Academy Awards. Right. It's also one of the only films where the movie is just the two people. There's nobody else in the entire movie. Right. Um, anyway, I mean, that's, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so um, Michael Caine plays um, a British from Italian descent hairdresser uh-huh. who has recently taken up with a slightly older woman, but much younger uh, than her previous lover, who is the decrepit, aged. And um, <laughs> I can't wait for the sentence to end. <laughs> you know what? I'll just end it there. He's a Speaking mystery of writer. Decrepit and aging. Yeah, Ooh. Lawrence Olivier. Yes, who has a house that's like makes the Overlook Hotel look <laughs> like the Motel Six. Right, but it, yeah, and it's yeah, it's, it's so it's weirdly creepy. It's well, this is what I'm saying. It's like wall we, to wall with weird shit. We tried to sort of like let's stretch here, and in a way, we found the other Lawrence Olivier film where the third <laughs> cast member is the weird house. Yeah, I guess you're right. You know what I mean? And it's also sort of like <laughs> mannered and has all these sort of class sort of issues oh, in it huge class issues yeah it's the whole thing is always oh, an italian he's not english that's like that's a that's a huge trope in here which again didn't make a hell of a lot of sense to me but no you know. it doesn't mean anything to me but he's not of like yeah stately sort of like generations <laughs> of of high class english people and and lawrence people olivier, who rode horses as a living lawrence olivier has made his living quite successfully as a mystery writer kind of a, a male agatha christie i guess right right right, right. and uh, and and so um he's invited michael kane over which is that's always like how a, the fuck the classic move also for like you know um, um, British like whodunits and mysteries like someone's invited over for a conversation and it starts right. there right or a meal or <coughs> a whole weekend but basically he's yeah. invited him over and, and Michael Caine's in the situation where it's like okay I'll come over and meet the soon to be ex-husband of the woman, woman I'm, I'm going to marry woman I'm plowing I'm plowing that with sweet my... British pussy comes into play again <laughs> wow with my Michael Caine penis <laughs> god damn it and and uh, so Lawrence Olivia wants to have a talk with him, and so uh, the initial talk is like, how are you going to afford this ex soon to be ex wife of mine? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, who, who gives a shit? And but it's also like, well, because I don't want to have to. Absolutely. Yeah, she's going to come crawling back to me. So get exactly. It. So how get do I get rid here. of her completely, right. and how so that you can take her completely, mm-hmm. and we can make this exchange of this woman who we never see? Right. And granted, you're a hairdresser. Uh, but you're, you know, you're also of the lower class and poor, generally speaking. But so. the but the first third of the um, of the film really sort of takes us on an, uh, this trip of the house, which is because he's a mystery writer and he's obsessed with games and games puzzles. playing and puzzles. Yeah, I mean, I I remember as a kid thinking. Man, like that would be so cool because I already had a hard on for like the Hardy Boys and like um, you know staircase behind the bookshelf type sure, of thing. Sure. But everything about this house was some sort of secretive, interesting right. aspect of really. Now that I think about it, Arrested Development, oh, yeah. Lawrence yeah. Olivia, I never thought of it. In it's those like terms. a penny arcade. This guy's got halfway got it's a penny. It's like a penny he's got, arcade. He's got like, he's got like uh, all kinds of puzzles and things like mm-hmm. that. But like one of the puzzles would be like to make a baller like a mechanical ballerina spin in a music box play. Like that shit is on every table. Right. It, right. 
right. there's a lot of things like that. It's it's tchotchke by way of entertainment. Yeah, and so and so it's like this conversation. And and by the way, I saw the stage play in London. It's it's it's. Mm. Um, oh, I say. Yeah. Well, you think I'm gay for reading a book? Jesus Christ. Well, it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's you know the thing is most um, movies that are adaptations of plays, whether it's like. Um, Carnage or Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, you mm. could sort of see, no matter how good the directors, you could see it how it was a play. This one, it never really occurs to you, but it's so obvious when you think about it because it's all set in this magnificent right. sort of a house, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it's sort of like that that first sort God, of act. I can only at least. imagine what that fucking stage looked like. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I was with my now ex wife, so the whole experience was. Ugh. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> um, so I had murder <laughs> on my mind. I wasn't going to say a word about killing a wife. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, so so the whole thing is about like having a conversation about like what the marriage is going to be like for this guy and mm-hmm. what's his background and is he going to be good enough for her or can he afford her? But at the same time, it's sort of like in the background of checking out all the games and the billiards and the like the the the, the hedge maze, which is like you know um, dwarfs the one essentially in in um, yeah, yeah, yeah. in The Shining, right? Right, right. Um, so, so that's the first part of it, and and so a, a, a plot is devised by right. this mystery writer, right? Who, who writes crimes? Mm-hmm. So he's going to he's going to help Michael Caine get the money necessary to support the wife yep. by helping him plan a by planning a, a robbery. It's an inside job. Can right. Michael Caine essentially rob him? Right, and so he can claim insurance and get uh, Lawrence Living can claim insurance to get the money back, and Michael Caine can fence the stuff, and Lawrence Living can even lead him to a fence. Right, yeah, he even knows a fence because you met him while writing a book. Yeah, but there's something about this character that's so it's sort of believable. You're you're intoxicated as a viewer by the character that's played the by sh- Lawrence yeah, Olivier. That's the sheer charm of Lawrence Olivier just exudes on this one. Which know? is to say that Michael Caine, the character himself, Milo Tyndall, Tyndall, um, um, thank you, uh, um, points it. out a plot hole for the audience, which is like, well, just give me the jewels and right. just say you were robbed. Mm-hmm. And Lawrence Olivier said, no, 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 <laughs> we must actually have like play out the robbery. You right, know, like course. let's go down to the to the dungeon and and pick out some costumes that you can wear in, in disguise and we'll get a ladder out of the gardener's shed right. and you can like you know cut a, cut the, the glass window and, and break through and you know and dishovel the whole house and you know the michael kane's just like uh, okay Whatever. you know okay i have yeah. a three o'clock appointment just at Supercuts, but all right up. yeah i mean <clears throat> so so that becomes the sort of like the the tension right like yeah. because what's happening is Lawrence olivia is leading michael kane into <laughs> actually committing the crime right of robbery right and then, Which, of course, if you're going to rob somebody's house, guess what they can do if they catch you doing it? Yeah, I guess in England still, right? Well, yeah, well, in Florida as well. You could just do it on the street. It's an somebody, old stand your ground stand situation. Your, yeah, that's right. So, so really, he's setting him up to kill him. Yes, because why? Is he really jealous? I don't think he cares he about, the wife, about the woman. But he just it's another want game that he that has marriage is the game. Right. Now, what is it? Sex. Sex is the game. Marriage is the penalty. Yes, yes. Right? And it also also it's racism in and classism. He doesn't want this fucking he doesn't want this low life Dago to yeah. steal his Besting woman. Him. Right. Yeah. So boom. Yeah. So that's Boom. the setup for it, and then uh, how, did we give away too much? That's no, the thing. no, no. Because actually, about this movie, I think that when you watch the movie, you're thinking like, "Oh, here's the sort of twist," but actually, that's not that's the not twist. That's not the twist. So I don't the think we gave. So, later. so yeah, as Chubby Checker would say. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the rest, the third act is really the sort of the but reveal. Beast mode just. I didn't get that one. Um, twist, twist away. Mm. Oh summer. Jesus God! All fucking. Money. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up, old boy. Uh, <laughs> fuck me in the mouth and call me Henry. 
Not one of our better episodes. But stay with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm loving it so far. Okay. Anyway, enough of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, the, the, the difference between this and, and Rebecca is, you know, Rebecca is uh, like uh, an intentionally like it's it's well crafted. It's a crafted movie. It's in black and white, but the cinematography is there's more. It's more attentive. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. the film here has that. It actually has that sort of early seventies color that we're always talking yeah, about. I the sort of the so blotchy much. tomato reds. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's super super. Rather than and being and this the sort of clean, cla- the house makes it claustrophobic. Well, that's it. It's busy. Yeah. It's super busy. It's yeah. it's hoarderish. If you were rich and didn't shit in a bag. <laughs> If I said, <laughs> well, or, or, or if only I'm a looking mink at you, bag. Tommy. Hello. Yeah, yeah, because I'm one of those two. Yeah, so it's and I think it's Olivia at his finest because Olivia is is chews the fuck out of that. He scenery. now that I know what that means, he does chew oh, the nah, fuck out of the scenery, nah, nah, nah. And, and so it's like Michael Caine is the one typically in a film who who just I mean the the charm of Michael Caine is that he doesn't care. I mean he doesn't care what movies he chooses <laughs> first of all, but even but when, he also acts as though he doesn't care in most of his. movies. That is true, that and that's what a, works. So even when the movie's like his, very yeah. very good, like the Ipcris file or or, or uh, Zulu, he's he's above things. That's kind of a defining characters are Michael Kay, well played. I like that. Yeah, and so I really like that about him. But but in a way he sort of takes a backseat to Laurence Olivier's cheesiness. And right. so that Laurence Olivier could out cheese Michael Kane makes this movie a fucking hell of a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. It absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little a little overlong, but the tension is well let's say this. It's there's tension, mm-hmm. but there's also um a sort of like savagery yes. about it yeah, at yeah, points. Yeah, yeah. I mean it gets very sort of belligerent and um, I guess belligerent. There's a visceral, uh, belligerent, and there's I think there's a, there's that visceral belligerent vicissitude. <laughs> there's a very subtle quality of, of like a visceral belligerence. I'll use to use your word. I think belligerent kind of vicissitude, sir. Oh, shut it, <laughs> shut it, chubby check. Let's twist again. Yeah. So I don't God, know. Look, it. it's hard to, to separate Lawrence Olivier. He's certainly done films where he's played an American. How and, many, and like if we were gonna put a bunch, like how many of his movies could we put into one podcast? We were just trying. If you did like we a Lawrence Olivier extravaganza, yeah. If we're just trying to cover a lot of ground on Lawrence Olivier. He's going for days, man. A bunch, a yeah. bunch. Although he's done some sort of, he did that one with Marilyn Monroe that was not too hot in the in the fifties. Uh, I've never seen that. I want to see that. And, and Wuthering Heights is, was is a real embarrassment. So I mean, yeah. he's but you know, yeah, but so was it's no Othello, that's for sure. <laughs> Mary, you know, he's the one classically. You know that that whole thing when he was in well Marathon Man. I mean Marathon Man he and the Boys the- from Brazil. You know, in the late seventies, he started to move toward like co-starring roles. Right, yep. but, but roles that he thought were important. So it's like you know, either he plays a Nazi dentist who tortures Dustin Hoffman, mm. or he plays a Nazi hunter right. who's after Gregory Peck. Um, but in the case of, of Marathon Man in '78 with with Dustin Hoffman, that's the famous sort of Hollywood story where um, oh, Dustin yeah. Hoffman stayed up for like 48 hours in order to like method act his way through being insanely tortured. Meanwhile, Larry looked at him and said. It's called acting. Try acting, Dustin. And so, and of course, Dustin Hoff was heartbroken because he thought he would impress the great Lawrence Olivier. And there right, is right. no impressing Lawrence Olivier, who, who, by the way, according to his, his um, uh, autobiography, claimed that his favorite actor, the actor he learned the most from, was Spencer Tracy. Really? Well, because Spencer Tracy does exactly what Lawrence Olivier said. He just, here are the lines. I'm this character. Right. Let me act it out. Right, right, right. And so, in a way, you know, he wasn't submerging himself in anything, but doing his job as an actor. So let's talk a little bit before we go. I want to talk yeah. a little bit about Lawrence Olivier because because he's one of those he's one of those people who has the mythology of being a really super nice guy. 
uh-huh. in Hollywood. Yeah. Like, I, I, I've never, now I'm, I'm curious because I've never read anything that Gaines says that. He wanted to be, he liked, he was Larry. He to put his up friends. with, he, I mean, he put up with Vivian Lee for something like a dozen <laughs> years. And I, I mean, she actually, I, I hear, was actually a nice person, but batshit crazy. Right. Oh, okay. And so, I mean, that was. And, and and remained like very very good friends with her after they divorced. Right. So I mean that says something, I suppose. It strikes me as like one of those one of those very rare great actors out of Hollywood that he'd, I'd like to have a beer with. Spencer Tracy might be another one of those. Come to think of it, Lawrence Olivier is one of the only men who can get away with that tiny mustache where you shave the top part and it's thin along the lip. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just, yeah. Classic great guy. I kind of know this, Maybe I've got a little bit of a man crush. That's okay by me. Absolutely. You know what we haven't been been um, sort of doing? I think it's not a laziness lately. Is is recommending that our listeners who are listening to this this podcast on the free side consider becoming Patreon subscribers oh, on yeah. the five dollar per month or more side. Mm-hmm. Um, listeners, we're getting more and more subscribers, and you don't want to miss out because we have um, tons of episodes on that side, only available to you as a five dollar or more per month Patreon subscriber. Yeah. And we're talking about like we just did one on Lawrence Olivier. Mm-hmm. We've done um, some on like the Rat Pack. We've just done a, a ton of of, of um, I think really interesting. We, we have some more lined up. Yeah. Um, also, we would appreciate if you'd rate and review us on iTunes, and we'd love it if you dropped us a line. Um, at finleysonfilm at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your suggestions. Fabulous. You know, we'd like to hear some or just criticism of or Tom. Yeah, oh, or Joe, absolutely. Yeah, more Tom. Yeah. Tom, do you have anything? Um, I was going to say, yeah, come check me out at uh, tomsmithcomedy.com. Uh, we're going to be at the... Um, World famous Tokyo Garden October twenty fifth for a live showing of, of Godzilla, the nineteen fifty four Japanese version, of course. Oh yeah, of course. Oh, I'm so te- I was so tempted to go with the Raymond. Burr. We have a special guest <laughs> on that, that one, right? Ball. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we have a comic named uh, Heath Reedy. He's a mm. local uh, Fresnan comic. Nice. Very funny young man, and he's going to be along for the ride. Okay, guys. Well, I have nothing else to say. Watch these films. Oh, well, that's a dreamy phrase. Lawrence, Lawrence of Olivier. Lawrence of, fuck me, right? Okay. Bye. Let's twist again.